Anything Ghost number 307, The Mega Macabre Halloween Special. Celebrity voice impersonated and in no way endorses anything ghost. Oh, behave. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, baby, and be honest. Do I make you candy? Do I make you corny? Do I make you candy corny? <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> You're listening to the Anything Ghost Mega Macabre Halloween Special. Take care, baby. Yeah. That was actor, comedian, and Austin Powers impersonator Richard Halpern. You can find contact information on Richard Halpern at the Anything Ghost website, anythingghost.com, along with this episode. And this here is Lex Wall. I'm the host of the Anything Ghost Show. We've been sharing true ghost stories since 2006. If you have a story to share, send it to lex at anythingghost.com or fill out the form at anythingghost.com. Happy Halloween, everyone. We made it through another summer, and we're well into the fall of 2023. Lots of creepy stories coming your way from the U.S. to the U.K., so turn down your lights, relax, and enjoy the 2023 Anything Ghost Mega Macabre Halloween Special. Starting things up for Halloween is from Clara in Arizona. Haunted U.S. Navy ship. A few years ago, while I was in the Navy, I was stationed on an amphibious assault ship in San Diego. I had temporary duty working in the Hazardous Materials, or HAZMAT, division as a supervisor. One of the storerooms I was in charge of was called the PA Storeroom. It was several decks down from the hangar bay that you could only access by going down a series of steep ladders. It was a long, narrow storeroom with many shelves for small items closest to the door, and in the back were large racks for five-gallon buckets and drums. By the entrance was a sound-powered telephone, which worked without electricity in case of emergency, and a heavy metal door that could be dogged down or sealed with a series of handles in case of fire. The room was always kept locked, due to the sensitive nature of the hazmat kept inside. We were in the process of renovating the ship, as well as inventorying all our materials, so we were working long hours and two shifts in order to get everything done by the deadline, with one shift working the entire day and one working the night. I was the night supervisor and had fewer sailors working for me, so usually it was only one or two people per storeroom inventorying or distributing materials. The PA storeroom was large, so I usually had at least one other person with me. One night, myself and another guy unlocked the padlock on the door so we could begin our inventory. It must have been around midnight, after an hour of working in relative quiet, when we heard someone whistling a tune through the bulkhead in the back by the heavy items. We both heard it and wondered who was up so late. 
On a different night, another guy and I heard it clearly. It was the same tune. I realized this time, though, that there were no unlocked storerooms anywhere around ours. No space that would be inhabited shared a wall with us. And the whistling seemed to be loud and coming from the far wall where the five-gallon drums were kept. We looked at each other and ran, locking the door behind us and running up the ladder pretty shaken. The next day, at turnover with the day team, I spoke to another petty officer who said, Oh, that's just the ghost. And he said he'd heard the whistling before as well. Our work was not done down there, however. Even though we were shaken, we had to go back the next night during our rounds. Everything was quiet for a while. But during another shift, a small group of us was working in that storeroom. We were moored, and everything was very still. The metal shelves that held the gallons and drums were sturdy, with triangular metal rods to hold everything in place at adjustable heights. The notches the rods fit into on the shelves made it so that you had to lift up the rod and then pull it toward you to remove one to access the buckets, making it very secure for when the ship was pitching and rolling on heavy waves. The rods cannot fall out on their own. We were passing new supplies to the back, down the line of sailors, but not yet placing them in the racks, when one of the rods that had been secured in their notches lifted up and out as we watched and fell onto the deck. We all looked at each other in shock and ran out. We left the storeroom without even locking down all the handles. We did return later and secured the space, but we were shaken. Some of the other night crew sailors and I started to greet the ghost whenever we opened the storeroom after that. We still felt like we were being watched at times, but it was less frightening. After that, I never heard or saw anything unusual again, except for some whistling the rest of the time when I worked for that division. Before I left, I did find the signature of someone who had been an SK, or storekeeper, carved into the paint on a high beam in the storeroom. That job title doesn't exist anymore, as it has been renamed to Logistics Specialist starting in 2009. I sometimes wonder if that sailor who carved their name was the Whistling Ghost or if it was one of the many other people who had passed away either from accidents or suicide on that ship in its 30 or so year history. There are some other creepy things that I saw on that ship, but I'll leave those stories for another time. And thank you, Clara. Clara actually shared a story with Anything Ghost in, I think, June of 2020, episode number 269. It was for the haunted Tucson, Arizona home. The next story is from Jeremy in the U.S., our haunted countryside home. Up until I was 15, my sister, who is nine years younger than me, and I grew up in a house out in the countryside. 
Everyone in my family recognized the house was haunted. One example was that every night the dishes in the sink would shift loudly. And it was only until we were in our new home that I realized dishes do not shift every night. And we accepted many of these types of things as normal by the time we left for our new residence. When we left for our new home, my parents kept the old one. It became somewhat of an odd storage area for us and sat unused for many years. But by the time I reached my mid-twenties, I decided to move into the old home. It was in the shape one would expect for a house that had been sitting empty for so long, but it had been cleared out of our old things for a few years before I moved in. So the house was move-in ready and only contained the things that I had moved into it. Immediately after moving in, I was reintroduced to the nights with the sounds of shifting dishes. The house was two-story and my bedroom was upstairs. I could hear something walking up the stairs at night, and although it never really seemed to reach the top of the stairs, it would get very close to it several times during those dark hours. The house contained many of these somewhat common signs of hauntings, but it was what happened after I'd been there for a year that convinced me of the intelligence that lived there with me unseen. Back then, I often worked until 10 or 11 p.m. at night. My drive home was about 30 minutes, and for the most part, uneventful. But there was one evening when I got home, and I was almost at the door, that I noticed something felt wrong. It covered me with more emotion than it should have. Neatly, in the center of the doormat, was a small, clear plastic ball with a spinner inside. My sister and I used to play with a toy exactly like that. I felt like it was there to get my attention, and its message was not a good one. The ball was out of place and felt very dark to me. I could not imagine even touching it. I got close to the front door and kicked the ball into the front yard, and then I rushed through the front door quickly, shutting it as if I was protecting myself from something. But it wasn't as if that mattered, because if that had been the same thing that made those nightly noises, it was already inside. The ball stayed in the yard, and I would not touch it. A few days later, I received a call from my mother. She said that the baby my sister had been carrying was stillborn days ago. It was a terrible moment for her, and they were just now telling others about it. Of course, that miscarriage happened on the same day as the ball appeared on the doormat. Whatever stayed in that house, and though it had no words, I believe it poured the darkness and the sadness of that moment into that ball for me to find. I later told my mom about the ball and how I thought it related to my sister. My mother kept that ball for several years, but never told my sister about it. Over the years, my mother also came to view the ball as some kind of ill-intent message, 
One day she threw away the ball, and it has not been seen since. And thank you, Jeremy, for the haunted house story. And I think I remember those balls. They're, those plastic balls, they have little toys inside of them. And I, that's all I wanted to say. Okay, thanks, Jeremy. And then next up, we have a short story from Daniel in South Dakota. The Ghost of a Woman. I would like to start by mentioning that I've been listening to your podcast since 2006, and I enjoy every episode. Unfortunately, I've never had a paranormal experience myself to send to the show. At least that was true until last night. My wife and I have five children. The children have two bedrooms across the hallway from each other. The older three are in the room on the left, and the newborn twins are in a room on the right. These days my wife takes care of the twins at night and I take care of the older three. My baby monitor went off around midnight because my youngest son was crying. He has been having bad dreams lately, so this wasn't surprising. I walked out into the dark hallway and as I neared the kids' bedroom, I clearly saw the figure of an adult woman rounding the corner toward the two doors where the kids and the twins' rooms were. I thought nothing of it, because it could have easily have been my wife or my mother, who lives with us. When I reached the room, however, I found the door to be closed. A chill ran down my spine. I clearly did not hear the door close, so whomever I saw could not have entered the room. I opened the door and checked on the kids. They were sleeping soundly, and no adult was in the room. My wife and mother were both sleeping. After that, I had time to think about it, and I realized the figure had been moving rather strangely smoothly, wearing all white, and making zero noise. I'm not sure what to make of it, but I think I had my first experience with a ghost. Next up, Leslie in the U.S. with some self-narrated paranormal experiences. Hi Lex, I wanted to send you this uh, short story about my brother. He had cancer a few years ago and um, passed away. Uh, he passed away in his home. Uh, my, uh, his girlfriend contacted us and said that she didn't think he had much longer, and the nurse didn't either. So what we did was went down, which is about three and a half hours away. When I got down there, I seen a state, and uh, yeah, he was pretty much, I knew he was going to go that night. And uh, I knew that because I had experienced that with my uh, mother-in-law um, a couple years before that. So I had to prepare myself for that. He was, he was going to be gone that night. I let my mom know. <clears throat> it was uh, the people there, you know, there was many that come and went. But it was mainly my cousin, his girlfriend, my mom and me that was there for the duration and in the end. So... One of the things that I noticed when I got there was how it smelled like floral. 
so like like a really strong uh, room deodorizer and I thought it was overwhelming it was over it was more than what they needed and I thought everybody else smelled it so in the state of their house they needed it anyway if you've seen it, it they were quite messy people and it would have smelled horrendous otherwise but when we first got there he could communicate just a little and but he would still go back into that state um like he's reliving his life or something i don't know what it was you know what was happening in his mind but you could tell he was having conversations with nothing and um he had his eyes closed rolled back in his head he couldn't move um he was basically in his bed laying there but uh as the night progressed you know he he couldn't you couldn't have any communication with him but i took it upon myself to ask him it was about an hour before he passed i i asked him if he would come to us after death because i wanted to know if there was an afterlife although i know that there is but I still like having proof. And I figured this was a really good um, opportunity for, for me to, to see. So uh, he ended up passing. And um, my mom, you know, throughout the day, she had to fill out a bunch of different paperwork. And, and his birthday, 10-23, she had to fill that out several times and... Um, after he passed, uh, she had some more to fill out. And the um, people came for the cremation. Um, they came, picked his body up and everything. And my, uh, my, uh, his girlfriend, my mom, and me, we went ahead and decided that we were just going to leave their, play, their house and go stay in the hotel so she could just get away from it all. And uh, we went to the store, and I don't remember if it was the total or the change back, but it was 1023. And I thought that was, I just don't think it's a coincidence. And, and I, and what happened to me after, I don't think is a coincidence, or at least I don't think so, but the smell that smell I talked about, the floral, the really, really strong, strong floral smell. Apparently, uh, my mom never smelled it. And there's just no way she couldn't have. She had to have. She's got better senses than I do. And that stuck with me for two weeks after. And every time I thought about my brother, it would get really strong. It hovered around me. It like hovered around uh, like every, it was just there. It was just there. The, it would kind of dissipate some, but anytime I thought about my brother, it would get super strong and for, for two weeks. And so, you know, those two, to me, you know, the, the 1023 at the convenience store and the floral smell that was super strong for two weeks after, I just, I just feel like that that was uh, 
that was his way of letting us know that there was an afterlife. This is kind of a short story, but kind of interesting to me still to this day. Several years ago, uh, I was living with my ex at the time, and he come home around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I'm at the computer, which is around... Uh, I can't see the door when somebody comes in, but I can hear it. And uh, it was about that time that he should have come home, and we had two dogs. And, uh, and uh, you know, I hear the door open, and the dogs run to the door and bark and, you know, scurry along just like they're excited that, um, you know, he's home just like they do every day. And uh, it shuts, and, and um, I don't hear anything. And I'm like, hey how are you? And I get no answer. And so I get up and I come around and nobody's there. And so I go out and there's nobody around. There's no vehicle. Uh, Nobody's walking away from the house and nobody should have been there at that time other than him. And I never, I never really understood what happened there because just shortly after that, he came home and I told him about it and I asked him, did you come home earlier? And he says, no. Um, and nobody else said that they had come by either and they wouldn't have had the chance to walk away or leave in time. Um, I would have seen them. And so I thought, well, I don't know what that was. Maybe it was, you know, maybe I just, it was somebody and I didn't catch him in time. Still, I guess it was possible. So I just kind of wrote it off and like, whatever. Well, after moving out several years later, I asked my ex if that had ever happened to him. And he said, yes, it happened to him one time. He was sitting there in his chair, which is around the same place of the computer used to be. And he heard the door open and shut by itself. And he went out and checked and nobody was around. So I owned this historical home uh, over in Mount Vernon, Iowa. I never experienced anything there while we had it, but my mother said she did, and apparently the cat did too. Um, She told me about one night the cat was looking up at the ceiling fan, and it was metal, and it kind of, it had a reflective surface, so you could, you know, kind of see, you know, see yourself if you're looking up at it, but... My mom said that the cat was staring up at it for the longest time and she went, she stood up and looked at it and seen a person that was not her looking back at her from the ceiling fan. And I wasn't there. Um, She swears by it. My brother said he wouldn't look because he was too scared, but she says that it was not her. And that it was somebody else because she could see herself and the other person was in it as well. 
and there was nobody else there besides my brother and her. And, you know, I I would laugh at her, uh, except for the fact that my cat was staring at it. And to me, that that's an indicator that there might have been something going on. It was an old house. It was one of the original houses that was in Mount Vernon. And those were three stories from Leslie in Iowa. Thank you, Leslie. And she actually sent two others, but I'll share those in the next episode of Anything Ghost. I wrote a song for the Halloween episode, and it's called Dance of the Tombstone Shadows. And it goes something like this. This next story comes to us from Kathleen in Pennsylvania. Ominous spirit in a renovated school. My family has always been a little on the sensitive side. We are also drawn to spooky old houses, dilapidated graveyards, and other places most people avoid. And sometimes these places find us when we aren't even looking. This is one of those stories. It took place in a western Pennsylvania town, a place that 50 years ago was quite the spot to be. But they mined out the coal in the area, and nothing has ever really taken its place. We are left with beautiful old buildings 
and a sense that something is just a little bit off. The following took place a few years ago when my nephew was very small. My sister had moved her family into a converted school building turned apartments. The building itself was about a hundred years old, with gorgeous brickwork, a ton of windows, some beautiful tile work, and wood running through the walls. We thought it was a nice, safe place to be, but this was not quite the case. And the folks running it out were not open with the history of the apartment. She'd been there a month or so and asked me to babysit one night while she worked a graveyard shift. I said, sure. Nephew and I would watch TV, he'd go to bed, I'd play some video games, and that was it. Easy aunt time, right? Nope. My sister hadn't even left yet, and the place felt dark, like the lights weren't working right. The shadows were heavy and it was cold. My nephew was not happy, but I figured he just didn't want his mom to leave. I'd brought my half-grown Chihuahua Kaylee, so he was a bit distracted playing with the puppy. As she was about to leave, it began to feel like there were more people there than just the three of us and the dog. It felt weird and unsettled. And after she left, things really started to happen. First, the light in the kitchen went out. The apartment was basically T-shaped, a relic of being a converted school. And the kitchen and living room were at the top of the capital T, with a hallway starting about halfway, the big main living room area. The doorway to the kitchen started to darken. Slightly nervous, I got up and looked around. No one was out there, and it was freezing. I went back to join my nephew and the dog. We were all watching TV when my dog stiffened in my lap. Eyes attent upon the baseboard. It looked like a small mouse had joined us, running along the baseboard. I was about to text my sister when it suddenly went straight up the wall. It did a 90 degree turn and followed the line of the ceiling back to the kitchen doorway. The doorway was pitch black. The blackness was absolute and almost looked to be roiling. Worse, I could feel it looking at us. Pieces of it were coming out. My nephew pointed and said, The shadows! The shadows! The dog was growling bravely. Chihuahuas don't know fear. Humans do know fear, and we were scared. I could feel whatever it was laughing at us, enjoying it. I thought at it that unless it was good, it was not welcome here. It laughed at me. And if it didn't stop, I would bind it into a bottle and toss it in a river. I had a pop bottle in my hands, and honestly it was the first thing that came to my mind. The mass slowly retreated. Bluff or not, it worked. The next time I came over, I brought sage and salt. I did my best to cleanse and release any energies in the place. I also eventually got the story. Before my sister moved in, a man was murdered in her kitchen. It was a drug deal gone horribly wrong, and worse, he was left for several days on the floor. You could see the mark in the wood. 
that fear and anger trapped something there, something that fed on the fear of the living. I don't think I was 100% successful in my attempt to free it. It wasn't ready to be freed. But the atmosphere in the place was much lighter. She didn't stay there for long, despite its charms. I was happy about that. Up next is a story from Christian in New Jersey. St. Louis Hauntings. I've never really been interested in ghosts or the paranormal. However, my experience has shaped my opinions on things. Back in 2013, I moved to St. Louis, Missouri. For those who don't know, St. Louis is a great historic old French Catholic city, not unlike New Orleans in some senses. St. Louis hosted the 1904 World's Fair and as a consequence, built a brand new neighborhood on the perimeter of the fair to promote the city. I ended up living in an apartment in that neighborhood. I had a normal four-room apartment, living room, bedroom, kitchen, and bathroom. My apartment was arranged in an L format, where my bedroom was between my kitchen and my living room. I moved in in October with no issues. In the spring, however, I began to experience oddities. I never really used my living room very much, preferring my kitchen and my bedroom. There were a few nights when I woke up with my living room lights on. I was initially alarmed and would check for any signs of intruders, but found no one. At a later date, I found my ceiling fans on in the middle of the night. That was unusual because those lights were so bright and offensive that I never used them later in the evening. Later, I eventually woke up with the lights and the fan on full blast. That happened on a couple of occasions. I emailed my landlord explaining the situation, and she sent over an electrician to review the wiring. That ostensibly fixed the situation, at least for a few months. The same previous situations began to occur later with my living room and bedroom lights turning on at night sometimes at the same time. Then, one night, I experienced paranormal activity. I was asleep, and in my sleep, I could feel the presence of a man in the room with me. The man was hovering over me. I always locked my doors in St. Louis, so this was very off-putting. I could not move my legs or escape from this moment. The man had a trench coat and a top hat on. Recall my apartment was built a hundred years prior. It felt as though the man had been transported through time to visit me. Perhaps he had lived in the apartment before me. I never experienced sleep paralysis before that night and never experienced it afterward. My girlfriend had noted that she felt uneasy in the apartment at times. I emailed my landlord again about the hyperthermal poltergeist, and she sent an electrician out again to review the wiring in the apartment. After that night, 
I didn't have another visit from the bean. I actually moved to an apartment two floors below that apartment and never had any similar issues. I ended up leaving St. Louis and lived around the globe before ending up in a house across from a 300-year-old cemetery. The cemetery features famous people from history such as Aaron Burr, Grover Cleveland, John Turkey, and Paul Tulane. Despite living across from hundreds of graves, I've never felt a sense of unease like I felt in St. Louis. So was it faulty wiring in that apartment, or was it a haunted visitor? Okay, thank you, Christian. And for the sake of the season, we'll go with the haunted visitor option. And the next story we have is from Marie in Massachusetts, the House of the Seven Gables. Each Halloween, Salem, Massachusetts, presents a unique experience inspired by its history of the famous witch trials, the Salem Haunted Happenings. A month-long festival of psychics, haunted house tours, and everything witchy is offered to visitors and residents. My wife Mary and I lived about two hours from Salem and enjoyed more than one October weekend there. We had our fortunes told went to an historic witch tour and attended a reenactment of a witch trial. A break from haunted tours took us to the Peabody Essex Museum, not to be missed if you're ever there, and stopped for some wonderful pumpkin soup at the Hawthorne Hotel. Mary grew up in a Massachusetts town and had been in Salem on school trips, but I was originally from New York, and those weekends were my first experiences with Salem. I grew up in apartments. There were only one level, no upstairs or downstairs. My family never lived in a traditional house. They were city people and preferred the convenience of apartment living. On one trip, Mary and I decided to tour the Turner Ingersoll Mansion. This was a large home built in 1668, and the inspiration of the novel The House of the Seven Gables, written by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This was the home of the Hawthorne's cousin and had been the home of his ancestors, who played part in the Salem witch trials, including one who had been tried for practicing witchcraft and one ancestor who was a judge at the trials. The tour was great and the house was, well, haunting. As we continued, a hidden stairway and a secret room was revealed by the docent. At that moment, I was stunned when I saw that the stairway and the room were an exact replica of what I had dreamed of all my life. The dream had repeated fairly consistently during my childhood and young adult life. I remembered in the dream squeezing myself up the staircase and pushing myself through. The dreams never frightened me, but they just puzzled me. The stairway I was looking at was very narrow, and when access was closed, the entrance was invisible. The docent explained that the rooms were built in early colonial times as a safe space. 1668 had been less than 50 years since the Mayflower landed, 
and the area surrounding the town was either a very busy waterfront or an inhospitable wilderness. Valuables and people were hidden there. Salem was also a wealthy sea-trading town, and thieves sometimes targeted large homes where there might be treasures. About a century later, the residents hid themselves and their possessions from British soldiers during the American Revolution. Seeing that hidden room had a profound meaning for me. It told me that my dreams may have been real at one time. Salem is a special place, and there's a lot of energy and history in that town. It's worth a trip. After that visit, more than 15 years ago, I never had that dream again. Happy Halloween. Continuing on with the haunted historic mansions, this is a story from Jasmine in California, the Whaley House. I've been listening for about 11 years and decided to start from the very beginning again because I'm craving ghost stories. I forgot that you had shared a visit to the Whaley House, and I just went there in March. thought you might be interested to know that something scary happened to me upstairs while I was looking into the child's bedroom with the theater on my right and stairs on my left and the bigger bedroom behind me. Absolutely no one was standing behind me as I locked eyes with a super creepy doll. I heard what sounded like a marble drop loudly behind me and I just about jumped out of my skin. I don't know how I didn't scream, but I looked and nothing was there or on the floor, and there was no one around. I was frozen with fear, until a couple walked by and went up the stairs, and I followed them around until I was done, and then ran back downstairs. It's possible that someone dropped something downstairs, and the way it echoed in the house made it sound like it was right behind me, but I already felt a difference in the air when I went upstairs. Again, it could be that I was aware it was a haunted house, but maybe it was one of the family members who died there. I've been saying for years I'm going to submit all my stories and my family's stories, so I'll get my act together before October. Thanks for making my favorite podcast. Okay, thanks, Jasmine. And yeah, she was right. I visited the Whaley House in San Diego. It was some time ago, and I had a couple of small experiences while I was walking around. I I got an electrical smell that came and went and then I also felt like a breeze hit my face and there was no one around that could have done that and everything's closed and so that was about it. Nothing real big but this was before anything ghost was around and so it was kind of exciting for me and I was actually made the leader. It was a ghost tour group and I was actually made the leader of the group. It was pretty fun. But that being said, let's just move right along and let's drop in a self-told, self-narrated story. And this is from Andrea in Virginia. Hi, Lex and Anything Ghost listeners. I have a story about something that actually just happened to me a few days ago. Today's Sunday. It happened on Thursday. Um, now, I wouldn't by any means ever call myself psychic, but... Um, I do um, 
practice witchcraft, meditation, and do other exercises, you know, as I'm learning to try to develop my psychic skills that I have noticed a difference since I began um, doing such things. I have a couple times seen what I believe to be a ghost now. Um, I sometimes walk at a local park in the town that I live in, and it's an older town. I believe this town is haunted. There are a lot of stories. There are a lot of historic homes and historic sites here in Southwest Virginia. And um, I've wondered to myself before if I would ever maybe see a ghost at this park. There are different things that have happened in the area. So, you know, since it's something I'm very interested in, I've had those thoughts before. Well, I was walking Thursday morning, and there's a little wooded walking trail at the park. And it's kind of like made as if you were walking like around a track, around a track around a ball field or something. But it's just at the in this wooded area of the park. And it's sort of a long oval. And pretty much anywhere that you are on um, the track, you can look around and see it in its entirety. There are trees, so if someone walks behind a tree, you might not be able to see them. So I'm walking in one direction, and as I'm walking, I see a woman walking towards me, um, or in the opposite direction across the little meadowy area on the other side of the track. And I don't think anything of it. And I just continue on my walk, looking around at the trees. There's a creek that runs along, and it was over to my right at the time. I'm kind of looking around and then I take my gaze back over to where I saw the woman. I notice she's not there. I think, well, well, that's odd, but maybe I've walked behind a tree. She's walked behind a tree. She'll come out from behind the tree that's obstructing my view in a minute. Um, and she never did. So I did kind of gave me pause and I'm like, okay. So I start to look around kind of behind me. So I stop walking and actually turn around towards my left and start to look along that end of the track and no one is there and that person is just gone and it just would not be possible for them to have moved anywhere along that track or in that area and not be visible to me within that amount of time just not possible first I start to try to rationalize you know, well, maybe I just didn't see, but then what I thought I saw, but then I stopped myself. And I'm like, no, I saw what I saw. I saw what I saw. I saw this. And it wasn't just a figure out of the corner of my eye. I was able to see enough to determine this was a woman. She had gray hair. She had on a light powdery blue kind of pullover jacket and darker blue pants, like a little jogging suit. Um, I couldn't make out distinct facial features, but I was able to, you know, I, that to me was like, okay, I saw those vague details, white hair, short, um, just even the way her stature, body shape, you know, I was able to see that it was an elderly person, even though I couldn't discern facial features. I could just tell by the hair, the white hair and the, the style and, the clothing and her body stature, her movement, like I was able to take that in very quickly. And so I, you know, recalled all of those things in my mind. I'm like, okay, I saw what I saw. I saw what I saw. 
And then, so I just, I let it go. I did not try to um, think or talk myself out of um, what I saw. And I thought about it a while. I felt like, you know, maybe this is someone who came down here quite often and used to walk here. So maybe her spirit still visits or maybe it's just like a residual because if she came often, you know, you're putting in that energy, you're walking around in this circle. I've always felt like that place has a little bit of a liminal quality to it. It's a liminal time of year. So I know, you know, I'm thinking about these things and then I hadn't been there long and I usually walk for at least an hour and then sometimes I wander around the park. So eventually I just stopped thinking about it. Um, I got over to the parking lot and by that time there were a few other cars there and there was a car parked beside of mine and I could hear music um, being in the Appalachian Highlands. Bluegrass is a really big thing here and I could hear music coming from this car. He had the windows cracked a little bit and he was listening to kind of a bluegrassy kind of music, a little very melodic and pretty. And um, I looked over and I saw a little elderly man in the car and he was sitting there playing a harmonica. And I thought to myself, oh, this is so cute. So cute. Um, how wholesome and sweet. Like he's just enjoying his morning, this pretty fall day, listening to music and just doing his own thing. And I thought that it was really like precious. So I get in the car and I'm thinking about this guy and I'm smiling and I just, I'm loving how sweet it is um, that this little old man is, is doing what he's doing. It's a little unusual and I wondered to myself, I wonder why he's not at home. And I look over again and I notice that he has like a towel over um, the steering wheel and over the dash of his car. And I'm like, huh, that's odd. And I looked over one last time. I can hear his music. I can hear him playing his harmonica. I see him with it. And I see a little parakeet hop up on his head. And I'm like, oh my God, I did not think this could get any sweeter, any more cute. And I just thought this is the most adorable thing I have ever seen in my life. This little old man playing his music at the park with his bird like he's even brought his bird with him and it is a little unusual too so I'm like wow that's you know that's something I wonder you know it is a little unusual so I kind of wondered to myself like I wonder why like you know why he's at the in the park with a bird you know so anyways I get home and my husband works um, from home remotely for his job and he had a break and I was telling him how absolutely adorable that was I sent some messages to my best friend to tell her because I just, it's kind of like it made my day. I told my my best friend, I was like, this really, it was so cute. It just really made my day. It, like my, if not my life, it was just so wholesome and sweet. So later that evening, um, I want to tell my mom about it. So I'm talking to her about it. And then I remember, oh yeah, I saw a ghost. I saw a ghost at the park this morning. And she's like, what? So I started to tell her about that after I told her about the little old man that I saw. And then it hit me while I was talking to her. I was like, oh my gosh, what if that was his wife? And I know this is a big what if. There, I have no way of knowing this. But it was just like this realization that hit me. Um, 
and it might explain the you know the little un, it's a little bit of an unusual behavior kind of to sit in your car and, and play harmonica it's more unusual to have a pet bird with you in the car at least he brought a towel um to cover up a little bird of poops but um it just hit me like what if that is his wife maybe she was someone who walked at the park lot and she really enjoyed it and he comes down there to feel close to her and that's her little pet bird that's their bird and he brings it too because he feels close to her there and he sits and plays music what if that was her and she's going over there to meet him or something like who knows that's a huge what if I know but we talked about that I started to tell my husband about it when he came downstairs and he was like yeah that makes so much sense my best friend was like you know what that is so sweet I choose to believe that (laughs) so we had a a good laugh about it and that may not be the case at all but I thought I would go ahead and um, share that in with um, my um, you know the me telling you about my experience of seeing that ghost so um, I just thought that was kind of a sweet little twist to the story of it's a possibility Um, and um, yeah I will leave you guys with that. I hope everyone um, has a great Halloween this year. And maybe you'll see something really um, sweet and spooky. I think that's a cute, a good combination. Um, but anyways, happy Halloween and take care. And here's another self-narrated story. This one comes to us from Aidy, A-I-D-Y in Maidstone, UK. Stalked in a dream. Hi, my name's Aidy. I live in a town called Maidstone, which is in Kent in the UK. And the part of Maidstone I live near has a series of lakes. So there are about four or five lakes uh, that are very close together. They're very popular for walks and for fishing. And next to the lakes is a road that's called Laybourne Way. Now this road connects the motorway, the M20, to a large supermarket and a, a series of industrial estates. So I had a dream a few weeks ago where I was driving my car down this road called Laybourne Way and just as I get a bit halfway down it, uh, a woman jumps out the bushes, puts her hands up and makes me stop the car. I should say at that time in my dream the road was completely deserted. I straight away knew that this woman was dangerous and there was something very worrying about her. As I looked at her, I didn't actually recognise her from my real life. I, but I could see that she had sort of long flowing curly hair and she looked sort of quite overweight, but I didn't recognise her. So fearing the worst, I stopped my car. I did a three-point turn and turned back and started driving the other way, away from her. And I was thinking in my head, great, I've managed to get away from her. Um, as I then drove back to my house, which is actually very near to that Laybourne Way Road, I start to think, where is she? Where has she gone to? Is she following me? And a sense of fear overcomes me in that dream so I rush out my car run into my house jump into my bed and pull the covers around me now just as I'm doing that just as I'm feeling that I'm safe and secure I start hearing the unmistakable click clack of high-heeled shoes now that's a bit strange anyway because I don't remember her wearing high-heeled shoes and it seems a bit strange that someone could run in high-heeled shoes but there you go I heard the unmistakable clickety clack outside my window and this is where it gets a little bit strange just as I hear the footsteps coming towards my window I wake up I wake up with a big start 
but the sound continues. I can still hear a woman walking towards my house. It may not be anything creepy. It may not be anything weird. It might just be someone walking outside my house uh, very early in the morning. Um, but the thing about the lakes is it's been known to have a lot of deaths there. Uh, there's been quite a few suicides over the year. And of course, being lakes, there's um, always been drownings. I've grown up here my whole life and every summer, unfortunately, there's always ambulances, there's helicopters around trying to find those that have taken a dip in the lakes and then gone to their death, sadly. But anyway, that's my story. Might not be nothing or anything paranormal to it, but I thought I'd share it with you anyway. Thank you. Hiya, friends. This is your old pal, Richard Halpern. At night when you're about to go to bed, Lex Wall can raise the dead. He's the perfect host. Anything ghost. Take care. Ha <laughs> ha. And that's the gentleman who did the introduction, the impersonation at the beginning. And his name is Richard Halpern. He can be reached at email by going by sending it to Richard at Mr. Tinpanalley.com. That's M R. Tin, T-I-N, Pan, P-A-N, Alley, A-L-L-E-Y, dot com. Richard at Mr. Tinpanalley, dot com. Next up is a story from Erica in Kentucky. Ghost at Linden Avenue House. It happened during the night. My two young sons were sleeping. One was in bed. The other was in his bedroom down the hall. We had been living on Linden Avenue in Newport, Kentucky for little under a year. The house was a two-bedroom Sears Roebuck catalog option built back in 1909. This event occurred in 2009, exactly 100 years later. Newport is an old city on the riverbank directly across from Cincinnati, Ohio, so there's a lot of history in the area. Ever since I became a mother, I have been a very light sleeper. It's not unusual for me to wake at the slightest of noises. That night, I was awakened by the noise of my six-year-old son stirring in his room. I heard him get out of bed and start toward his door and walk into the hallway. I assumed he had gotten up feeling scared and wanted to climb into bed with me a common occurrence with a child of that age. It sounded like he had his bed sheet draped around his shoulders. I could hear the fabric sweeping over the worn hardwood floors as his little steps quickly shuffled through my door and into my room. Through freshly opened eyes, I saw a figure about three feet tall, covered in fabric, rushing past my bed. I pushed myself up to clarify the situation. It was then that I realized the person in my bedroom was not my son. What I saw was a woman wearing a floor-length pettiskirt. She was only visible from the waist down, transparent with a blue glow, exactly what you might expect a ghost to look like. But as soon as I realized what she was, she disappeared. At first I was stunned. I just sat there completely dumbfounded at what I had just experienced. But then it occurred to me that this ghost had been in my son's room, where he was sleeping alone, 
so I jumped out of bed and rushed to check on him. Thankfully, he was peacefully sleeping, unbothered by the activity. I had other supernatural experiences, but nothing quite like that one. It was frightening, but didn't really feel like a haunting. It was almost as if a veil between two timelines was thin that night. It felt as though I had glimpsed something mundane that happened once long ago. Just a woman shuffling from one bedroom to the other. Perhaps exactly 100 years ago on that very same night. Sarah in New York, Haunted Road. Back in 2015, a group of my college friends and I were visiting our friend Ava's hometown in Orange County, New York, not far from the New Jersey border. It was early October, and we were sitting eating dinner with Ava's parents one evening, and the conversation turned to ghost stories. Her parents began to tell us about a nearby Clinton Road in New Jersey, a long, dark, desolate road with a reputation for strange, ghostly sightings. They'd had their spooky experience there years ago when they saw a black pickup truck that seemed to be floating in the middle of the reservoir at night. We were all intrigued and decided we should go to Clinton Road for a nighttime drive. Ava was less enthusiastic about the idea, but she eventually agreed. We set out for the supposedly haunted locale after dinner with our friend Brian, driving us along the dark black roads to our destination. When we arrived on Clinton Road, everything was normal at first. We stopped briefly at Ghost Boy Bridge, hoping to test out the legend that if you leave a quarter in the middle of the road, a ghost of a little boy who drowned in the Clinton Brook will return it to you. Ava was growing increasingly scared and pleaded us to keep driving and not open ourselves to danger. I felt we already pushed her far enough out of her comfort zone and we all agreed not to tempt the ghost boy. We drove on. Shortly after we'd left the bridge, we noticed a black pickup truck driving uncomfortably close behind us. It seemed to come out of nowhere, and as we continued along the dark street, it matched our speed. Suddenly, the truck's headlights went out. I turned around in my seat to look out the back window and could make out the truck on our tail with no lights. Just then, our car filled with light again as the truck turned on its high beams still driving what I found to be an unsafe distance behind us. We were all startled by this point, thinking of Ava's parents' story of the floating black pickup truck. It went on like this for another minute or two, the truck continuing to turn its headlights off and on again, clearly trying to send us a message. When we reached the end of Clinton Road, the truck immediately turned around and headed back the way it came. Confirming what we'd suspected, the truck's business began and ended on Clinton Road. Its only purpose careening down that dark road was to terrorize us. We all calmed ourselves down by guessing that the driver 
had likely been a local resident with a hobby of perpetuating the Clinton Road legend. Still, to this day, I'm in awe of the timing. We went there looking for a scare, and almost immediately we got it. I've since found several reports online of others having similar run-ins with the ghost pickup truck of Clinton Road. I'll never know for sure whether what I experienced that night was paranormal. What I do know is this. It was a fun thrill driving down that lonely stretch of pavement with a car full of friends, but I sure wouldn't want to return there alone in the dark. Anything Ghost has been around since January of 2006. That's many years of true ghost stories like you're hearing today in this Halloween episode of Anything Ghost. Plus, every year I put together one of these Halloween special episodes. So, if you want the complete archive of Anything Ghost, you need to join the Anything Ghost VIP group. For more information, go to anythingghost.com, join VIP. The next story is from John and Jim in Alabama. Dissonant Child's Playground Song My wife and I have been fans of your show since early 2007 when we found it. We were also some of the first VIP ghost group members when you started up the archive. My friend Jim and I experienced something at another friend's house one night in the late 90s that none of us could ever explain. I have for years meant to send this story in for your show, but those plans only just now came to fruition. I wrote my story below before having the idea to get Jim write his version of the events that night. Sadly, life and time has put distance between us as friends, but I reached out to Jim, who wrote his version of the events of that night. What follows are two recollections of the same event, not influenced by the others. I hope you and your listeners enjoy. My Recollection This story took place one Friday evening in mid-October when I was 20 years old. My best friend Jim and I went to another friend's house for dinner and to hang out. James and his wife were a bit older than Jim and myself and had a young daughter who was not yet crawling. They lived a short way down the dirt road, just a few miles outside of the small town where I grew up and was still living at the time. It was very quiet and peaceful at their house, with clusters of trees and azalea bushes on both sides of the drive, and a short sidewalk leading up to the front porch. James and his wife cooked dinner for us, and afterwards we sat around for several hours, listening to music and hanging out. Occasionally we would step outside. Jim would smoke as we stood around talking about all kinds of things, from music to philosophy. After James's wife went to put the baby to bed, the three of us went outside so we could talk and not disturb. The night was fairly bright from the moon and earlier in the evening, while standing around outside, I had noted that I could see the glow of the clouds from the town and hear the cheers of a crowd at the high school football game and the band playing occasionally, even though we were about five miles away from the stadium. James, who had recently purchased the house, 
told us a little bit about how they had come to live there. He told us that one morning, the previous owner, an elderly lady, who lived alone, was planning for a visit from her neighbor just down the street. They spoke on the phone, and the neighbor said they would be there in a few minutes. After saying their goodbyes, the lady started cooking some eggs on the stove. But when her friend arrived a few minutes later, she discovered her friend, dead of a heart attack, seating on the couch. The neighbor checked the stove after smelling food cooking to discover that the eggs weren't even burnt. We discussed this for a little bit and were somewhat weirded out by the fact that the lady had died right inside the house, and a little more weirded out that the friend had come along so soon afterward. This turned into a discussion on fate and what happens when you die, and then on to religion. We stood for a long time discussing different aspects of religions and philosophy, and it had grown late. James was standing facing the road while Jim and I were facing each other. To my left, from the direction of the road, and town several miles beyond, I heard a sound that I couldn't quite place, a distant exhale of breath. I wrote it off as more of the cheers from the football game. After a few seconds, it began to dawn on me that the game should have been over nearly an hour before. I turned my head in that direction when another sound emanated from just beyond the end of the sidewalk, somewhere around the cluster of trees and azaleas. As much as I'd love to imitate the sound we heard, I cannot. It sounded like an adult imitating a child calling a taunting song, off-key and absent of sanity. It is still the strangest, most haunting sound I have ever heard. At that point, whoever in the group had been talking stopped, and all three of us looked in the direction of the sound. For whatever reason, be it curiosity or downright stupidity, Jim and I turned and walked directly toward the road searching the source of the sound. We began looking through the bushes and walked out into the middle of the dirt road, thinking the sound could have come from the woods on the far side of the road. We began peering out into the dense foliage. Then from behind us, came the distinctive sound of a round being chambered into a handgun. We spun around to see James standing there with his pistol and a flashlight. In our haste, we hadn't realized that James had run inside rather than following us. We searched the bushes around the driveway and across the dirt road, but there was no sign of anyone. It was the single strangest event I have ever experienced and sent chills up my spine the next day in broad daylight. There's practically no way it could have been a person, because we never heard the distinctive sound of footsteps on the dirt road of anyone approaching or running off. To this day, I wonder what could have possibly made that sound. Jim's Recollection in fairness, I have to start this story with a caveat. 
We'd all been drinking. Now, having said that, I'm a musician that lives a musician's lifestyle. So before I started to go sober in my late 40s, I drank a lot. I like to describe myself as a Churchillian-level functioning alcoholic. That is to say that while I had absolutely been drinking that night, knowing my tendencies and my tolerance at the time, I was also far from drunk. Our friend James was a kind of renaissance man. He studied southern fiction and played in a Zydeco and punk bands. He also worked as a tax assessor. He lived in an old farmhouse he was remodeling on Ship Road on the outskirts of the small town of Bay Minette, Alabama. Ship Road ran off a nearly empty section of highway that led to the I-65, and the one truck stop on that exit was the sole business for miles. James was in his 30s. My friend John and I were in our 20s. We had met James at a local music store and hit it off. He was a great cook and would invite us out to his house where he and his wife, Eileen, would make the most delicious Cajun dishes. Afterwards, we would have some whiskey or beer or both and pull out acoustic guitars and fiddles and push box accordions and play for a while. Sometimes we would just talk about music or history especially if Eileen had put their young daughter down for bed. As I recall, that was the stage we were at that night. My friend John and I were there for a visit sometime in the mid-90s. Red Stripe beer was the thing we were into at that time, I believe, and I remember having a sixer of it with me. I remember James extolling the virtues of Isaiah Singer at some point in the evening, and telling us about a book he'd written about the history of Zydeco music. We decided at some point to walk outside so that James and I could have a smoke. James smoked hand-rolled cigarettes, yes, just tobacco, and I smoked Marlboro Reds. John, being smarter than us in this regard, simply accompanied us. I remember it was very dark around James's house that night, I seem to recall maybe one streetlight on his property. But he had no nearby neighbors, so there wasn't the ambient light we are used to living in our neighborhoods. Our conversation had turned toward the supernatural, a subject that interested both John and I. Though I hold no beliefs in the afterlife or in gods or devils, then there was the noise. We were standing in a loose sort of circle in James's driveway, the way people do when they stand around in conversation, so we were all facing toward each other. The noise sounded like a human voice, but wrong somehow. The voice produced a tuneless sing-song, a sort of child's playground taunt but atonal, shrieking, and disjointed. And it was in my ear, coming from directly behind me. I could feel the breath against my cheek. I turned around quickly, scared to death, to find absolutely nothing at all, just empty darkness. 
I looked back to see John looking around baffled as well, and James was gone back into the house. He emerged seconds later with a forty-five. I have to stop here. James was far from a violent man. He was an artist and a writer, and one of the kindest people I've ever met. He was just that damned scared. We searched around the house and into the nearby woods, but none of us saw or heard anything else. We found no trace of anyone around, no signs of cars or ATVs, and it would have been a long walk to the nearest house. After the search is when John described the experience from his perspective, and it was the same as mine, as was James's experience. We each heard the voice come from directly behind us and kissing close just over our shoulders, close enough that, as we were standing facing each other, any person, or thing for that matter, would have been visible to the other two. All of us feeling as if we were personally in contact with it, and that it was mocking or taunting us. I don't remember much past that, just that all three of us remained shaken for the rest of the evening, and John and I left not long after. Now it's easy to write this off, folks having some late-night drinks in an old farmhouse, out in the woods, in the middle of nowhere, go outside while talking about supernatural stuff, and hear something weird. Shocker. And maybe that's all it was. But there were three very different people there that night. One was sane, and hardly as anyone I've ever known, and very well educated and capable. I was there as well, and while I can't make any such claims as those about myself, I do know that sound chilled me to the bone. I still don't believe in the afterlife or gods or devils. All the same, you won't catch me on ship road late at night ever again.
next story comes to us from David in California. The ghost in room 104. I've been in and out of hospitals for the last few years due to back surgeries. Sometimes I'd have to use the restroom and would always hear a woman and children. When I heard it, I was pretty sure her grandchildren were visiting her. She seemed very sweet. I would hear her reading to the children on different occasions. One day I was reading a book in my room. My nurse would come in and check on me from time to time. She came in and was about to give me physical therapy. I asked her a question and her eyes grew big and she turned as white as a sheet. I asked if an elderly woman was roomed next door. I told her that those children were probably her grandkids, right? The nurse took a deep breath and had me repeat myself. I told her again that from time to time I'd hear her speaking or reading to young children from her bed. The nurse could not believe what I was telling her. She explained to me that room 104 was a storeroom. It had been a storeroom for the last few years. The last patient in there was Mrs. Jackson, one of the owners of the rehab facility. I was very puzzled. I asked if she ever visited the room with children. The nurse looked at me straight in the eye and told me that Mrs. Jackson had died two years prior. And she added that patients would always complain of things moving around, whispering, and dark shadows against the wall. The nurse told me that it was probably my medication causing me to hear voices. My buddy came by to visit one day. He needed to use the restroom. He asked me if I knew who was next door when he came out. He said he heard children laughing. I told him to check the room from the hallway. He investigated, but the door was locked. A male nurse told him that room 104 was a storeroom. I knew I wasn't crazy. After telling my pal the whole story, he said his goodbyes and never returned. The story's from Pete in Wakanda, Illinois. Repair Stories My co-worker Stephanie told me about your show, and I really enjoy hearing it. She said I should write in with some of my tales from when I repaired things in people's homes. So here goes. My entire adult life has been repairing things in people's houses. At first, in a cable repair position and now working for the town's water department. The main place for both of these jobs involved basements for the main connection points. Here are just a couple of those tales. One of my earliest events was when I was still in cable repair, 2007. My last job of the evening was a house later in the night to fix the TV. The neighborhood is one where you have no street lights. So when I arrived, it was already very dark. I rang the doorbell and introduced myself to an elderly woman who was holding a dog. She looked extremely angry and or unpleasant. So I went in to start the work on checking the signal levels. The entire time, she was just sitting in a chair facing my direction and staring at me 
Eventually, she got up and left the room. To be honest, I don't even recall what happened. It was just more of a relief to have her gone. I noticed that the levels were bad, and I saw the cable went through a hole in the floor. I went down the stairs and found the door to the area latched shut. I unlatched it and looked in. The room was completely dark, and the light switch nearby wasn't working. So being that this was before phones had flashlights, I went out and grabbed my big orange flashlight from the van and went to find the cable connection. The entire basement was fully furnished with drop cloths over it all. I ignored all of that and found what I was looking for, a massive tangle of unlabeled cables in a back utility room. Basically, to figure it all out would have taken hours, and it was already very late, so I went back upstairs to the crabby lady to explain why this would be better suited for another day. I told her I had gone downstairs to look at the cable, and she asked, You went downstairs? I told her, Yes, that's where the cable is. Then I explained that it might be easier to show her what I meant. I remember her eyes got wider as she was led downstairs. When we got down there, all the lights were on. In fact, it was super well lit. As we were walking through the utility room, I was stunned and looking around for where the light switch was and was wondering how I missed it. Anyhow, we got into the room, and as I was explaining the rat's nests of cable I'd have to sift through, I noticed she was only looking at me and not at the cables. Then I looked past her, and the lights behind her began to randomly turn on and off. I was thinking, what the hell is going on here? They weren't just turning on and off. It was like many lights randomly going on and off. A lot. The lady said, you shouldn't have come down here. I then realized that I was cornered in this creepy basement by this woman, and all this crazy stuff was happening behind her. The lady then said, It's time for you to leave. I said, Yep, I'm out of here. Have a good one. I ran out to my van and got out of there as fast as I could. Another time I was in a retirement home as a family was moving in an elderly woman. They left the unit to go sign the paperwork, and I stayed to hook up their services. I was looking down to get a tool out of my bag, and saw a foot step down in front of me, and then lift up, like somebody was casually walking by. I looked up, but there was no one there. One of the people came back in, and I said, Weirdest thing but I feel like I just saw someone walk in front of me. He went on to tell me that the previous occupant had died in that room a couple weeks earlier. Finally, I recall being in a building that used to be a hospital that was turned into a hotel. I pressed the button for the elevator, and when I stepped back, I caught a glimpse of a man next to me in dated 1970s era business clothes. It was just an instant, and then he was gone. 
made me wonder why. Because some places may look scary, but I feel no presence there. But I'll go into newer places and get a sense of something there. I decided to open myself up by trying to figure out what energy I'm getting from them instead of getting weirded out. A lot of the time it's curiosity, I feel. Like whatever is there is wondering what I'm doing. Seldomly I feel anger, but it's never manifested into anything physical. I have more, but they're all over the place, and that would be confusing, I think. Thank you for the time reading my tales, and for making this such a great podcast. It makes my work day better to see an episode pop up on my phone. All right, thanks for those stories, Pete. And I, I think, as a lot of you know, that um, there's a lot of ghost activity when there's rebuilding done in a home or renovating. So maybe he's dredging up some of those spirits that are wondering why they're why he's changing their old home or place of business. Again, thanks, Paul. And this last story is from Stephanie and her father, Bill, in Ohio. Family of ghosts and a hotel ghost. I've been a fan of yours and a VIP member for several years. Thank you for all you do. This remains one of my favorite podcasts of all time. My family has always been exceptionally haunted, though luckily I have not followed in their footsteps. I much prefer to hear about the stories secondhand. My dad has generously typed out these stories to send in so we can share them with others. I hope you all enjoy them as much as I have. Stephanie from Stephanie's father, Bill. It was 1968, and we lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. My older sister, Patty, brought home a Ouija board from one of her friends. We had no idea how to actually use the contraption, but we played with it for a while and said goodbye at the end. My sister then returned the board to her friend. However, Someone we contacted did not want to go. Sometime afterward, I would wake up at night and see a man next to and slightly above my bed. He looked like my dad, so seeing him never really scared me. He wasn't too tall, black hair and somewhat balding, and wearing a black overcoat. I only realized much later that I never saw his lower legs. He was always smoking a cigarette. When he would take a drag, the glow from the cigarette would light the room enough to clearly see my sleeping brother. After a time, he would simply dissipate. I awoke to his presence about six times over the next three years. My brother Brian also saw this apparition a number of times, once when he was well awake and just walked into the room. A few years later, my oldest sister, Mary Jo, was staying at the house with her husband to protect it from being vandalized while it was listed for sale. 
Mary Jo and her husband slept in the master bedroom, which was a room beneath the upstairs room that Brian and I had shared. Very early one morning, Mary Jo awoke to someone holding her hand. She said it was warm and comforting, so she assumed it was her husband. She didn't react until she realized her husband was asleep on her other side. Now onto the farm my family moved into in Indiana. My two younger sisters slept in the upstairs master bedroom. That room had once been my mom's father's room when he owned the farm in the 1940s. He had been a big-time gambler and a bookie. After his death, my sisters always swore they heard the sound of rolling dice as if a game of craps was going on. In that same house, my brother Brian was trying to get some sleep one night before going to his midnight shift at the casket factory, but he kept being awakened by someone touching him. He got mad and went into the living room to yell at his little brother for teasing him. They told him that they were innocent. When he went back to the room and crawled back into the bed, he was forcefully pushed out of it by an unseen force. That room was originally a log cabin that had been used as a post office for the area. The rest of the house was later built around that log cabin. One last story. My career required frequent out-of-town stays at hotels. In the 31 years at the job, I stayed at numerous hotels, motels, without incident. However, in 2010, I had to travel to West Hollywood, California. I didn't know the hotel I booked had recently gone through extensive renovations. The second week I was there, I woke up needing to use the bathroom. As I looked toward the restroom, I saw a man. He looked to be in his thirties, blonde, and dressed in khaki pants, black belt, white shirt, and no tie. He was rustling through papers attached to a clipboard. I screamed like a ninny, jumped back on the bed, and turned on the light. I was about to give him a piece of my mind for being in the wrong room and scaring the hell out of me when I realized there was nobody there. I still had that screaming urge to use the bathroom, and I had to pass right by where I'd seen that guy to get to the bathroom, but nature was calling hard. After returning to my bed, I said out loud, You got a good scare out of me. I'm too old for this. Please do not do that to me again and I fell back to sleep. I told my co-workers the next day, and they all scoffed at me. I was going to ask to be moved from that room, but I'd had enough ribbing from my friends and did not want it from the hotel staff, too. So I stayed two more nights. Thankfully, all was quiet. Okay, thanks for that story, Stephanie and Bill.
And uh, there we go again with the renovations, dredging up some ghostly activity. And you know what? That'll do it for the 2023 Anything Ghost Mega Macabre Halloween Special. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. I had a good time putting it together. And if you have a story you want to share for the next episode of Anything Ghost, send it to lex at anythingghost.com or fill out the contact form at anythingghost.com. Okay, everyone, have yourself a wonderful Halloween. And I'll talk to you in the next episode of Anything Ghost. Until then, take care.